It's good to uh, have you guys here this weekend. My name's Jeff. If I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you. Or if you've been coming here for years, like some of you have and have never said hi to me, I would love to talk with you and get to know you a little bit. We are uh, launching a new uh, series this weekend called Five Assumptions About God and Why They Are Wrong. And uh, this series comes out of a book that I uh, wrote called Five Assumptions About God and Why They Are Wrong. And uh, if you want the book, you can get it out in the lobby. Uh, you can pick it up at any of the lobbies or you can get it out of the church's bookstore online. Uh, you can find it online too. Um, <clears throat> the reason I wrote this book, it's not because I'm a particularly good author. I'm actually not that great of an author. I've made my, mod- my, my uh, money in modeling. So that's really where that came from. But um, I wrote this book because I wanted to uh, document a journey that um, God has taken me on throughout my life. And, and it's something that I really believe Um, many of us have gone on as well. If you grew up in the church, uh, like I did, there's some wonderful, wonderful things about that, including being loved by wonderful people who invested in your life and cared about you and wanted to teach you the Bible. Now, there's also some downsides to that, which was a part of my experience, that I was taught some things about God that as I pressed them into the Bible, I found that they actually weren't true. They were assumptions that I had. They were kind of an, an unspoken part of our relationship with God. I, I grew up in church, and so I got the subculture and the subtleties of it. So that's a lot of us have, have done that. Uh, it's, uh, this, uh, it's been fascinating, folks, leaving services here this weekend, uh, especially last night on Saturday, where people who love Jesus the most actually go to church it's in the Bible, um, and, uh, and where you can go, and there's free parking and 2% off your tithe and seats if you want to come on Saturday night. Uh, but on last night as they were leaving, people asked me, they're like, were you this, were you this, were you this, were you this? And it's funny, I was none of those things. I was something else growing up. But it's, it's amazing to me what a common experience we have in these assumptions that we're going to talk about. And then for some of us who didn't grow up in church, uh, a lot of times outside looking in, this is what we would assume. Uh, This was the message of the church. This is kind of the public proclamation of the church. And so we would look and say, man, they're saying that's what God's like. That must be what he's like. And so we grab those ideas and form these assumptions, maybe the way that I did. And uh, they really affect us. They affect our relationship with God. They affect how we uh, read and kind of translate the Bible into our hearts and lives. Uh, They affect our relationships with each other. Uh, The way I view God is the way I view people. The way I think God views me is the way that I view people. So it affects our relationships with each other. And then the church itself. Uh, It's very common that if you grew up in church that you left. Uh, And you might have swung back in for kids or maybe mom guilt tripped you into it. It's a very, very common thing. And you start asking, why is that? If we have this wonderful, loving, grace-filled God who gives us joy, happiness, and purpose, why don't we want anything to do with him? It's fascinating. And, And it's a part of what we're taught and how we're taught it and what our assumptions about God become. So that's why I wrote the book, and that's why we want to take this journey together. And we've done this a few times over the years. Now, this is my, my fifth book, and, and when we write it, I like to take us all through it, because these things, they really do come deep from the heart. 
And I want you guys to get it. I want you guys to kind of uh, discover what I've discovered. And so we're doing that. And then what we did is we formed groups. And you're going to find, uh, even by the time we're done here this weekend, that uh, this conversation is not remotely complete. I can kind of tee it up. But these are the kind of things that you have to process out in your groups. You got to get around uh, biblical community leaders. You got to get around people who are further along in their relationship with you, as well as just other followers of Jesus Christ. Because these things are deeply tangled, these assumptions in our, in our heart. It's like untangling fishing line, if you've ever done that. It takes time. It's kind of strand by strand. But when you get through it, uh, the lights come on is what I hope, what they did for me. And it can be a life-changing experience, okay? So I'm excited to walk you through this. What, what I want to do this weekend is I, we just kind of have to start somewhere. And so I think I'm going to start by just walking you through uh, my story a little bit and what God taught me. I want to show you some things that popped out of the scripture. And I think it'll lay down a foundation for our series. And it'll also help us press against the first assumption, which is that God just wants me to try harder. Okay, so I mean, uh, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Um, I grew up in a, in a, a home of two very loving parents that actually loved Jesus. Uh, my mom and dad accepted Christ when they were um, in their mid-30s, kind of in, in a big way. And so I was born the baby of the family and the blessing. I'm the best thing that ever happened, really. But the, um, I was born kind of later in the game in my family. And so I grew up uh, going to church. I literally started going to church in my mother's womb. And, and the church and the subculture of Christianity uh, was what I knew and what I understood and what, what I was a part of. Um, when I was six years old, uh, our church brought in a guy called an evangelist. And if you're not familiar with that term, uh, an evangelist was a guy that would have a, oh, probably four or five sermons that he would travel around the country and go to your church and he would preach those sermons again and again and again. Well-intentioned person. I'm sure he loved Jesus. I'm sure he was doing what he thought was best, trying to help people not go to hell. And so what that evangelist would do primarily is invite you to, we called it get saved or be born again. Uh, here at Grace, we call it becoming a Christ follower, and that's what he, he would do. So uh, uh, my little church had a, an evangelistic week or a revival week. And what that meant was is that you would go to church every night that week, right? You just go to church uh, Monday through Friday. And so uh, that's what we were doing. And one night at the revival week, the evangelist preached on hell. And uh, he told us all about hell. And he told us that hell was, uh, if you didn't accept Jesus, you would go to hell. Uh, that in hell, you're forever separated from God for all of eternity. In hell, there is no happiness, there is no joy, there is no mercy. Uh, you are eternally thirsty. Uh, you will burn for all of eternity, but never be consumed. You will fall for all of eternity, but never land. You'll be in total darkness. Uh, hell is a place that is for Satan and his demons, and so they'll be there too. And it's a place of torment and punishment and destruction. And the thing was that everything he taught me was correct. That, that's basically the same doctrine of hell that, that grace would adhere to. We, we would lock into about 90% of everything I just said. 
And so he was actually teaching the Bible correctly. When you go and find descriptions and find interactions about hell in the Bible, he had just strung all those together and painted that picture. And it was not a crazy picture. And it's true that if you don't know Jesus, that you're in danger of going to hell. And so everything was relatively accurate and right. Uh, he yelled it at us. That was my tradition. You got yelled at. So we didn't do this conversational stuff back and forth. You just kind of got yelled at the whole time. So, so he yelled for about an hour about hell and what it was like and how you shouldn't go there. And, uh, and then at the end of that hour, what he did was he stepped out from behind the pulpit. We called it big, big, huge podium. And he stepped out and he came down into like the front aisle of the church in front of the altar we had an altar there, it said in remembrance of thee on it, and so the altar was there, and he gave what was called an altar call, and an altar call was he would invite you to, to we call it coming forward, he'd invite you to come forward and come to the altar of God and, uh, and uh, get saved, and so he did that, and so he got down there and gave the altar call, and we had a pianist and an organist, and they played a hymn softly in the background, and uh, he said this, he said, listen, <clears throat> he said, if you don't want to go to hell, you need to come forward right now and become a Christian. If you don't want to go to hell, you better come forward right now and become a Christian. Well, I'm six years old. I just got yelled at about hell for an hour. I'm like, I'm real pro not going to hell, you know? And, and so I was like, boom, gone, and climbed over my mom and climbed over my dad and got into the aisle, and I walked the aisle, we called it. I went down the aisle, and I went to the altar of God, and and uh, a guy from our church, a friend of our family, who was a wonderful man. We loved and trusted him. Uh, he took me back to a counseling room. And back in that room, he prayed with me. And he said, Jeff, he said, do you want to not go to hell? I said, I am, I am very pro no hell. I'm, I'm still that way, by the way. Given a choice, I'm all about heaven, not about hell, right? And so I said, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. He said, well, then repeat this prayer after me. And so he said a prayer and a cadence, and he would say some words, and I would say some words, and, and I got saved. I was born again that night, and uh, we walked out from the counseling room. They were still singing some hymns in the church, and uh, he and I stood in front of the whole church, and he said, I got really good news. Uh, Jeff's not going to, to hell anymore. He became a Christian, right? And everybody clapped, and mom and dad were excited, <clears throat> and I was too. I slept a lot better that night, and... Uh, I was told that I was a Christian because I got saved when I was six years old. Now, after that whole celebration, nobody really told me what to do, right? So I didn't really know what to do, but I grew up in this subculture, so I knew all the nonverbal cues. I kind of knew what to do. And what you started doing after you were not going to hell and you got kind of the out of hell thing locked in is you started serving the Lord, and what that meant was that you started obeying the rules that the church put out. And so you started to ask the question, well, what are the rules? Well, the good thing is, when you went to church, the pastor would tell you. He'd, every week, he had a new rule for you. And so one of the rules was to go to church. So I, I knew that one, and that was the easy one, because my mom and dad were, would go. And you go to the church, and you'd hear rules, or you would, or you would grab even the subtle like little hints about the rules. You just kind of knew them. Growing up, so you would go to church and pastor would say things like, you know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls who do. And I'm like, I'm six years old. I'm like, I'm very committed. I'm going to give up my drinking and my girls and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing that stuff. And so you knew, <clears throat> you knew that that was a rule. You know, read your Bible. So, you know, you read your Bible. You memorize verses. So you would, you would memorize verses and, and you just kind of, 
dialed into all these rules and kind of knew how to live, and that was the tone. And, and the tone was, listen, if, if you're really a Christian, if you're really a Christian, you'll do these things. If you're really a Christian, in fact, the way that you know that you're a Christian is you really put effort into these things. If you're not putting effort into these things, as stated by them, then you may not be a Christian, you might not have meant it. When, when you got a hill, or, or you may be backslidden. That was a, a word that they used, you're backslidden. And so if you're really a Christian, you'll follow these rules. So I, I really wanted to be a Christian, and so I listened. You know, I wanted to, wanted to, to do the rules and kind of grew up in that scenario. As I became a teenager then, I started to wonder about certain things. And here's the thing, teenagers are smart, and, and one of the things that they're best at a teenager can smell somebody faking it a mile away. And I was like that too. I, I'm, I was a teenager and I started listening and I would start to hear these things and recognize the inconsistencies in them and start to question of whether this is what God really wanted me to do or not, right? So that you couldn't, don't, don't you drink alcohol. That was a big one. No wine, no beer, no cooking with wine. I'm dead serious. No cooking with night, beer battered fish, send you to hell. Like you didn't do, you didn't do any of that stuff, right? And so I'm like, oh, I can't, can't do those things, you know? Um, you weren't allowed to, to, uh, to do certain behaviors, right? And there was reasons for it. So smoking was a big one. No smoking, not a pipe, not a cigar, not a cigarette. No smoking. And you would ask the question, well, why not? Why not? Well, because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you don't want to defile the temple of the Holy Spirit by putting a, a you know, cigarette smoke in it. And go, okay, I, I got it. Well, then as a teenager, you start to do some math. You're like, so you're not allowed to smoke, right? Right, because your body, yeah. Well, you're like 100 pounds overweight. <laughs> like, is, is, that's not a big deal. No, that's different. It's different than smoking. Okay, uh, you're, you don't smoke, but I just watched you pound four Big Macs, you know? Have a cigarette, give your body a break, you know? It's just, so, so you just start, you start looking at that. You're like, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. You're not allowed to dance. That was a big one. Dancing, ooh, dancing. It gets you pregnant, so you can't, you, can't, you can't dance. So as a teenager, you would read the Bible, and you'd be like, David danced, and he was naked. That's in the Bible. Like, so do you dance naked? I asked my pastor that once, and he just left the room. I'm like, but it's right there. Like, he was dancing naked. So, you know, so you, you would just start picking up on these cues, and, and you, you knew they weren't right. And, and what, what happened for me was I just started to write it off, right? So I, I had mastered the rules, and so I knew that in certain situations, these rules apply. And again, nobody like gave me a list. You just grew up in it. You knew how it worked. Certain situations, these rules apply. You just live this way. People leave you alone, right? So if I was at church, I acted like a church kid. If I, I went to a, a, a religious school, so if I was at school, I, I, knew the, I actually knew the Bible really, really well because I went to school. So I had to take it for a class. And so I learned those kind of things. And, and, and I was around my family. I would, I would do these kind of things. But my faith and my relationship with Jesus never left the building with me, never. So how I, how I lived in my life and my morals and my ethics and my truthfulness and my integrity had nothing to do with what I was taught at church or, or what was modeled for me at church. But I was taught, but you're a Christian. You're a Christian and you're gonna go to heaven. Well, how come? Well, you walk the aisle, you respond to the altar call and... You keep the rules. In fact, you, you, put a, you put a lot of effort into keeping the rules, right? 
And so, so you do those things. Uh, one, one of the big things you couldn't do in my church was listen to secular music. Secular, oh, that was the devil's music, right? And so you couldn't, <clears throat> you couldn't listen to any secular music. In fact, we had a seminar one time. A guy came into town, and uh, we, Friday night, uh, we were mandated to go, so we went to this thing, and, and we listened to this seminar about secular music, how the devil's in all this music. Hotel California's about a demon, all this kind of stuff. And so you listen to this kind of stuff, and then that you listen to it, you could hear it and see it, but then to really prove it, they played it backwards. It was called backmasking. And they played it, there were subliminal messages in there from the devil. So they played it backwards and be like, devil, you know, and like, I heard it, you know, it was there, again, right? It was right, like you could, you could hear it right there. So this truth gets ingrained in you. And, and like, so I threw away, man, I threw away all of my secular music. In fact, we had, we had that meeting, like a probably on a Wednesday or something like that. Friday, we had a bonfire. And we all brought our secular music to the bonfire, our records and our tapes. And, and we went to the bonfire and we burned it because we returned it to the pit from which it came. And, and we burned it. And, and I got rid of all of my good music. You know, it's, all, it's cost me a fortune to replace this music. Steve Miller band, Air Supply, anybody? Yeah, it all, it's all in the flames of hell, right? So, but but the, that, that's what you, you would do, and that's how I was raised, and that was the idea, that if you, if you love Jesus, you would prove that to Jesus. If you were a Christian, you would stop it. You would knock it off. You'd cut it out. You'd flee from it. That's what it was. If you really love Jesus, then you would you'd kind of put your back into it and try really hard and, and show everybody and, and show God. Obedience was God's love language. You would let God know that you really, really, really love Jesus. You'd burn your music and not drink wine and all these kind of things. And so I, I, I did. I mean, that was the rules, right? That was the rules. You would start to look at that and say, it's interesting though, because I, I watch these people proclaim these things, but I see these inconsistencies in their life, right? I would hear things like, once you're saved, you're always saved, you never lose your salvation. That was like a big argument in my church. But you better knock it off or you may not even know, right? You would look at things like God loves, uh, he loves you, he loves all people, and we're to love all people. But if the shade of somebody's skin was dark enough or they had an accent you didn't recognize and weren't familiar with, they could be the butt of the jokes. And as a teenager, you'd start to do the math on that and you'd say, this isn't right. It's not even in the, I can read. It's not even in the book. But that, that was the way that works. Now, again, these, aren't, these weren't a bunch of jerks. Not at all. Nobody set out to say, I'm gonna mislead people. It's what they were taught. It's how they were, same culture, what they were taught, how they were raised, and they were passing that on from generation to generation. And when I was in college, and something happened that kind of blew my mind, I was a junior in college. And when I was a junior in college, I went out to Philadelphia, I was working in Philadelphia, and I ran into these college students. And these guys were nuts. And, and I did not understand them because they did not follow any of the rules that I was taught to follow, but they loved Jesus. And I had no idea what to do with it. Uh, this one guy, he had an earring 
Man, my church, you didn't have, you didn't have long hair. You, it was crop tight, because that's the way Jesus wore it. So off the ear, off the car. So he had long hair, and he had an earring. And you know what an earring means, right? They're those kind of people. That's what that was. I was taught that. So he had an earring. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I can be around this guy. He probably has a crush on me, right? I, I don't know what to do with it, right? So he had an earring. He had a tattoo then. So if you had an earring and a tattoo, if you had a tattoo, like, the floor would open and you would just go to hell, right? Kind of thing. I mean, it's a, it's a pagan thing we were taught, right? So it's what the, so he had an earring, he had a tattoo, and he would have a beer or a glass of wine while reading the Bible. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is like unfathomable, right? He danced, they would dance. I'm like, you guys, they would, I'm like, you had an earring, long hair, you drink beer and you dance, you're just gonna spontaneously hell combust, right? Right, and, right in front of me. They would do all these kind of things, right? And, and it, was, it was nuts, but it was weird. They would pray for fun and they meant it. I never meant it when I prayed. I just knew what to say. I actually knew how to impress you. It was crazy. I just knew the words. It was easy for me. But they like meant it. They would, they would read the Bible and like actually absorb it into their life. I never did that. I read the Bible to pass test. Uh, I would quote the Bible to win a contest, maybe to make a political point of view, but never to like know God. And then they did something really, really nuts. This was insane. Whatever they read in the Bible, they did. Like, what? They would, like, do it. So that they would, like, go and help people. They, they would find an outcast, and they would bring them into our friend group. I'm like, that person, I don't, I'm not supposed to be around that. They might contaminate me. They might bring devil with them. What did that person, they would like reach out to people. They would be friends of sinners. They would do all of this weird stuff all the time. And they're like, Jeff, come on. I was like, I don't want to go to hell. It, it was, I didn't know what, what to do with it. And they absolutely blew my mind. And for the first time in, in my life with peers, I saw people like loving God and meaning it and loving people and meaning it. And I tell you, it was very life-changing for me. It was very life-changing for me. So I accepted Christ when I was a junior in college <clears throat> um, in the middle of a soccer field in Philadelphia. And when I accepted Christ, what I said was this, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I know that I am not. I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that you are on the way of salvation and I will follow you with my whole life. You can define me, you can direct me, I will yield to your authority, I will see what the Bible says and I will do it, and I give my life to you. I want you to be the savior, the Lord of my life. So I became a Christian when I was a junior in college, and my life has been radically, radically different since then. Now, What's funny is this, if my mom was alive, when my mom was alive, I would tell these stories <clears throat> or put them in one of my books or something like that, and she would always look at that, and she'd always say, honey, you didn't accept Christ when you were a junior in college. You accepted Christ when you were six. 
when, when preacher so-and-so came and, you know, yelled at you and you went forward. I remember you walking out. You did, I said, Mom, I, I don't think I did. I never lived for God. She, she would say, oh, honey, you were just backslidden. You were backslidden. When, when you were 21, you, you made Jesus Lord of your life. But you were saying that whole time, you were going to heaven, honey, honey, bunny. Jeff Aru, she'd call me. Don't, don't. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so, you can call, so Jeff Aru, she'd call me. And she'd say, you, you were saying, and, I, and we'd argue about it. Mom, no, I, I, I didn't. This is why. Because when I was six years old, I was asked a question that I answered. The question was, who doesn't want to go to hell? And I was like, I don't. Here's the problem. Jesus never asked that question, ever. He didn't ask who doesn't want to go to hell. Jesus asked, who will come and follow me? Who will yield all of your life to me? Who will spend your life discovering me, knowing me, following me? Who will put your life under my authority, definition, and direction? Who will give your life to me in such a way that you will be mistaken for me? Now, I never signed up for that. I signed up to not go to hell. I never signed up to lose control of my life. I just didn't want to deep fry in hell. And we had these very differing definitions of what it meant to be saved. My mom's with the Lord now. She knows I'm right at this point, <laughs> right? On multiple things, by the way, right? But we, it wasn't deceitful people. In fact, I believe most of those people were gonna, they're in heaven. It was a false assumption about what God wants and why he wants it. I was taught that Christ loves us and that he came in the world to save us because I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So Jesus came and he died for me and you need to accept that salvation from Jesus Christ. Completely accurate. But then I was taught this. You are now in a debt to God you, you are a wicked sinner, that's true. And Jesus is the only path of salvation, also true. And you need to receive Jesus' salvation or you'll go to hell, also true. And now that you've received it, you better spend your life working off that debt. You better knock it off. You better cut it out. You better get to church. You better read your Bible. You better volunteer. You better, you better start giving some money because you are indebted to God. And he, he took the time to mess around with you and came down here and bailed you out and you better get bailed out and you better be grateful and you better have the joy of the Lord. <laughs> That's what I was taught. So when I was taught to follow Christ, I was taught to try, work, act like you mean it. Put your shoulder into it. Lay your life down. Knock it off. Cut it out. And if you're not willing to, and if you don't, then it's a, it's a jump ball when you get to heaven. It's fascinating. Now, it's interesting when you take that idea and you press it into Scripture, because that's the assumption I worked off of my whole life. You take that idea and you press it into Scripture, and you start finding the heart and the mind of God it's interesting if those ideas will sync up or not. 
So here's a passage I was very familiar with. This is John 3, and we'll go through verses 14 through 17. So the, the, the 14 and 15 is less familiar, but here's what it is. Just as Moses was lifted up, the snake of the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. So, so we've been talking about our last series, Assume I Know Nothing. If you missed it, boy, you should really try to download all that and, and eat it up. So we talked about like the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is our fall, God's de definition and, and uh, passion to restore us. And that all leads up to the Messiah. And then last weekend, Pastor Ryan let the cat out of the bag that Jesus was the Messiah, right? So Jesus comes, fulfills all these things, and he is the Lamb of God. He's the atoning sacrifice. Those are all terms we defined in the last series. And he is the substitute for us. He's the substitutionary atonement. We earn for ourselves death because of our sin. The wages of sin. Wages is what you get for what you, what you did. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is lifted up. So in the Old Testament, Moses, the children of Israel sinned. And, and uh, it's a long story, but God had Moses put a snake up on a, like a cross. And if the people looked at that bronze serpent, they would be healed from what was happening on the ground. And so just as Moses brought salvation to people, the son of man, Jesus Christ, must be lifted up. God has to save us. God has to change us. That is what Jesus came to do, right? All true, all accurate. And then you get into verses 16 and 17, which are more familiar. So John 3, 16, which was very, very familiar to me, was this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But when I was taught that verse, I was taught that verse with a tone. And the tone sounded like this. For God so loved the world, dummy. God had to love you. He had to. He, he loved you. Don't you see it? Shouldn't you stop it? Shouldn't you knock it off? He, love, he loves you, why don't you love him back? He did this for you, why don't you do it back for him? He so loved the world that he, and I would put in this word, this is the tone, that he begrudgingly gave. You screwed your life up so bad, and God looked and was like, great, now I have to deal with him. I guess I love him, Jesus, do something about it. That was the tone. So you had this mindset. Again, that nobody would ever say this because they actually were, were within the parameters of sound doctrine or good theology. It was the tone. It was the culture. God is stuck loving you, Jeff. And he, Jesus had to come down here and die. You better knock it off. You know what he did for you? You better start doing stuff for him. You better cut it out. You better stop smoking, drinking, chewing, dating. Because Jesus didn't smoke, drink, and chew and date girls who do. You better start. You're, you're not going to tithe, really. Jesus died for you. You're not going to listen to Christian music, really. Jesus died for you. You're not going to obey your parents, really. Jesus died for you. That was the tone. And so what you were taught to do was this. Man, I better, I better like put my back into this, man. I better knock everything out. I better do whatever rules I was told to do. I better, I better burn my Steve Miller Band CD, and I better burn my NSYNC CD, right? Which, by the way, that one does please God. That one's a little bit different. <laughs> so just go ahead. It probably would be wise. You know, God might hate you for that one. But I better, I better do all those things because he loves you and he begrudgingly gave. 
and he's watching and he's looking. And if you are not giving your best effort, he is going to be honked off and you may or may not make it. We'll just see. When you go and you read that passage in light of who God actually is, in light of what God actually did, you can't draw those conclusions out of it. When you look and say, for God so loved the world that he, if you read the Bible correctly, you might put in this word, he freely gave his one and only son. God loves you and gives you. God loves you and rescues. God loves you once no one to perish. God loves you and calls you to repentance through his kindness. God loves you and laid his life down for you. God loves you and made you new creations. It's fascinating. He loves you and he freely gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, nobody ever taught verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's fascinating. Because my Christian experience was mostly condemnation. We didn't try hard enough. No, I, I failed this week, man. I, I looked at pornography. Well, you didn't try hard enough. Didn't have enough accountability. I failed this week. I listened, I listened to the radio. Well, you didn't try hard enough. I listened to Billy Joel. Oh, you, didn't really, you didn't try hard enough. Boy George. Oh, he has earrings. <laughs> you didn't try hard enough. You, should, you, need, you, need, you need spiritual disciplines. You need, to, you need to show God. Obedience is God's love language. You need to... And so you would feel this condemnation all the time and then you would read the verse and it says the exact opposite thing. He didn't send us to the world to condemn the world. Why didn't God have to send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because we've condemned ourselves. I am a wicked sinner. I am an enemy of God. My, the, my, the iniquities of my own sin have separated me from God. Jesus didn't have to come and do that. I did it. He didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world through him. It's fascinating, guys. When you start looking at that and saying, now wait a minute. So Jesus did all of this? Yeah. Jesus saves me, yeah. Jesus makes me righteous, yeah. Jesus sanctifies me, yeah. Jesus makes me holy, yeah. What do I do? What's my job? That's a very fascinating question. In fact, there was a guy that was raised the way that I was raised, and he asked Jesus that one time. Jesus was out and about teaching, and the guy that was raised, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta put your back into it, you gotta try harder, you gotta get your act together, you better knock it off, you better stop, do these things, don't do these things, right? That's the way I was raised. You better prove to God that you love God, or you never know. Might not make it. This guy came and asked Jesus, he said, so Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What, what are the rules? What am I supposed to do? Give me the main thing so that I can pour my life into the main thing. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll tell you what, I will. This is what he says in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, here's the main thing. Love the Lord. That's what I want you to do. The main, the, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord. The Lord God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, you blend in the, Matthew, uh, the Mark passage in your strength. Love the Lord your God with all that you have and all that you are. Love the Lord. What, what am I supposed to do? Love the Lord. How, how do I know I'm going to heaven? You love the Lord. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? You love the Lord. Well, what does Jesus want from me? He wants you to love the Lord. 
And this was fascinating. Again, well-intentioned, loving people, wonderful people. But I guarantee you, if I would have gone to my spiritual leaders and said to them, how do I love the Lord? They would have said something to me like, well, you should go to church. But I, I will, but how do I love the Lord? You should read your Bible. All right, what am I looking for though? How do I love the Lord? Well, you should knock it off. You should cut it out. You prove to God that you love the Lord. But I don't, I don't know how to love the Lord. What does it mean? And I, I promise you, nobody could have answered that question for me. So this is what happens. Because that isn't explained, what tends to happen is that idea goes to one of two extremes. One extreme is the extreme I was raised in. The love of the Lord, what you do is you prove to God that you love him. You, you just go all in and you become like a nun or a priest or a pastor or something like that. And you, you go to a convent or you go to a monastery and you just die. You love the Lord. That's one extreme. And, and it's this idea that I'm going to set up, I'm going to make my own faith, make my own God, and I'm going to do it in a parameter that I can measure and I can meet, and that means I love the Lord. I'm not, I love the Lord because I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls who do. See? That's one extreme. The other extreme is liberalism, spiritual liberalism. So this is actually where a lot of our society is today. To love the Lord means that I'm spiritual. I love the Lord. Well, why? Oh, because I just do, and I, I like being around God. I like music, and I'm, I exercise, and I'm a vegan, and so I love the Lord. Well, I know, but what God? You know, all, you know, just God, my higher power, God. You know, I just feel his presence. He's the force. I can levitate. Things. I, I, lo I love the... And this extreme over here is just as incorrect as that because you just made up a God. I just made up something and then I call it my God and I love that God. And so these two extremes, like both of them are actually the same version of the same thing. But when Jesus says love the Lord, what's he talking about? Is he talking about get your act together? No, that's, you're not gonna find that in the book. Is he talking about just, you know, whatever works for you? No, you're not going to find that in the book. What's he talking about? He's talking about something completely different. Love the Lord. How? Well, you need to know the Lord. How? Talk with the Lord. Be still. Know that he is God. Meditate on the scriptures day and night. Speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Back to be led by the Holy Spirit. But how can I do that? Actually, you can't. It is a relationship that God creates. He makes you into a new creation. He washes your heart whiter than snow. He justifies you, sanctifies you, and makes you into something holy. He causes you to be his friend instead of his enemy. He causes you to be a joint heir of Jesus Christ. He creates a totally different relationship than you can ever create. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how hard you don't try. It only matters what he does. Well, what am I supposed to do? Love God. 
Well, how? And then the Bible describes it, gives some metaphors. Well, like a marriage, right? Well, how, I'm not married, how else? Like a friendship. What, what else? Well, like a brother, like a family, like a parent, like a body, where, where I'm in the body and the body's in me. It's a cellular relationship. How else? Like the bride of Christ. The Bible will describe all of these things and it ha- never has anything to do with lists and do's and don'ts. It has everything to do with what God creates me to be. And it's fascinating. When, when you start talking about that, my friends over here, they're like, you are an alt-right wing wacko conservative. You believe there's a real hell? Yeah. How can you believe that? Well, the book says it, so I just kind of believe that. And my friends over here, they're like, you are a liberal. A liberal. Right? What do you listen to? Crazy. You don't listen to those 24 pilot guys, do you? I know it's 21. I made that up. That's the joke. Right? So, <laughs> there is something completely different. And when Jesus says, come follow me, he's saying, come, come and awaken to what I have created. He didn't say, go build yourself a religion. And he didn't say, blow it all off. Come follow me. Now, here's why I wrote this book and why I care so much about this stuff. My greatest fear, my greatest fear is that you signed up to not go to hell. It's not in the book. Jeff, I grew up in church. All right. I do, I do lots of good deeds. You don't have to, you don't need Jesus to do good deeds. The, the average Muslim does a lot more good deeds than the average Christian does. Much more disciplined life. They're not... Jeff, I'm spiritually sensitive. I, I know lots, lots of people are. Jesus, not Jeff. Jesus says there's a way, there's a truth, there's a life. Nobody, nobody goes to the Father except through me. There, there's, a, there's a different thing. So my greatest fear is that for many of us, we signed up to not go to hell. Or our parents, your, parent, your mom and dad love you. They love you so much. And, and they're, the, the priest told them, if you don't get that baby's head wet, that baby's going to go to hell. So they did. And, and your, your, your priest, your parish, your pastor, they probably love you. And they said, man, if you don't take this communion, do this confirmation, and do this confession, and burn that music, and quit drinking that alcohol, you're going to go to hell. So you did, because you signed up to not go to hell. And you look at God and say, what do, I, what do I need to do to not go to hell? And somebody told you, well, you need to do these things. Okay, I'm in, because I don't want to go to hell. Jesus didn't say it. He never said it. He said, come follow me. And and to follow Jesus means there's going to be radical life transformation. It means I'm not going to live like other other people. I can't because I'm I'm something different. I've been created into something different. It's, It's got nothing to do with trying harder, straightening my life out. You can do all that without Jesus. Do you think Jesus, if all God wanted in you and me was self-discipline, 
did Jesus need to die to give you self-discipline? I know many disciplined people. That it, it's, it's wonderful. Don't, don't hear me wrong. It's wonderful, but you don't need Jesus for it. To, to abstain from certain things, abstain from alcohol or sex or whatever, you don't need Jesus for that. Wouldn't the giving of God's only son be overkill if that's what God was looking for? But to be reborn as something different, well, that's a supernatural act. To, to have all of my sin paid for and to live as a new creation. I can't pull that off. So my biggest fear is that we signed up to not go to hell. I don't blame you, I did. I mean, if that's the options, I would definitely go the non-hell route for sure. It's not what Jesus asked for. To know him, to follow him, to love him, to walk with him, to be empowered by him. What do you want? Love the Lord your God. And I wouldn't be surprised if you are a little bit like me and I would look and say, I don't even know what you mean. I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Those people I met in college, that seems like that's what they're doing. But nothing I was raised in, none of the assumptions I had about God, the, the, the things that were harped on, I, I don't even know if I would know how to pull that off. See. So we're asking the question, well, what if we change the paradigm? What if we push the assumption aside of just try harder, stop it, knock it off, get your act together. What if we push that aside and said, okay, I want to know God and the power of his resurrection and the joy of sharing in his sufferings. If I, if I did that, what would that even look like in my life? What does that even mean? How do I even play that out? If we push those assumptions aside and locked into what the scripture actually says about knowing, loving, following Jesus, could that radically transform your life here? And could heaven be the byproduct of it? Not the point, but the byproduct of it. Right? Just asking. Now, you can probably tell, like, there's, I, you can't even land this thing in one sitting, right? Like, so there's, I don't know, it's, it's a big, big conversation. And this is why we've worked so hard to get you guys set up in these groups. So if you're not set up in one, join one this week. Show up, sign up, whatever you got to do, join one this week. That's why I wrote the book, to try to give a, a bigger story to this whole thing. But this is, like I said earlier, this is like a tangled fishing line. You have to pull it out thread by thread. It just takes a while to do it. It did in my life. And so this is where the groups become helpful because you have spiritual leaders in the group and they can help walk you through things. Maybe you don't know the Bible inside and out yet or as well. and They can help you with that. And then there's just this dynamic 
where you, you can look at a friend of the group and say, I'm struggling this way, and they're like, I used to. I can help you with this. I'm struggling this way. And you can say, yeah, I used to. I, I learned this. And pushing that back and forth, actually going through that process, there, there's literally nothing like it. It's why God designed the church that way. Christianity is a team sport. And so these things that I've discovered in my life, they come from conversation. They come from work. This is what it means to work your salvation out with fear and trembling. It, it means like with reverence and diligence, I'm working to understand and to know the heart and the mind of God. And, and these things, I just call it being awakened. They're like the truth is like, aha, right? It's awakened in me. And that's why these things are, are so, so important. So whether you're signed up, if you're watching online, being in one online or, or coming in and being in one with other people, it's a huge, huge thing and we wanna help you do this. And my hope is this. My hope is that as we do, as we do assume I know nothing, like we've laid down this information and then we landed on Jesus. And now my hope is in the next five weeks that we really get our head around, well, who is Jesus actually and what's he actually want, right? How, do, how am I supposed to interact with him? And it's as a friend, as a brother, as a wife, as a parent, as a, right? That, that's, that's the relationship we want. So we'll explore that and say, okay, now I kind of know what I'm getting myself into and I can make that a part of my giant leap forward, okay? All right. I'm gonna pray for us in a minute. When I do, the band will come out and create a little space for us. Here, here's, the, here's the thing I would encourage you to, to lock onto a little bit. I believe that the hardest truth to accept about God is that he loves us and he did all the work for us. I believe that truth is mind-boggling. We, we would look and say, well, there's gotta be a catch or certainly there's something I, I need to do. And so I want you to, as we pray and think, to challenge that idea in your own heart. Do I actually believe God loves me or do I think he's out to get me? I'm kind of keeping him at bay. And then do I actually believe he did all the work for me? Or do, or do I think I, in my salvation, one, it's a free gift that I receive, right? We're talking after our salvation. Do I actually believe I have to work it off? Or do, do I believe it's the finished work of Jesus Christ, what the Bible says, but do I believe God did it for me? And if I could rest in that, the love and the finished work of Christ in my life, how would that change my relationship with God, right? How would that change my relationship with the people around me, right? Or how should it? It's really hard to love someone you never spend time with. See, I was taught, crank through your devotions. No, no, Jesus is saying, no, I, I want to know you and you to know me. And so if I rest in that, how does that start to alter my understanding of God, how I read the Bible, how I interact with the Bible, see how that works? So pray about it and think it through and ask, you know, God. And then I would say this, guys, if you signed up to not go to hell and you're kind of realizing that, you know, you, you can freely sign up to follow Christ. Maybe you're there and God just did all the math for you. That happened with a friend last night. She met me in the hallway. She's like, I just accepted Christ for the first time. And, and she did. So maybe you're there, or maybe you, you just start wrestling with the question a little bit. Is, is that my faith? And, and if I looked at my relationship, not, not my commitment to Christian subculture, but my actual relationship with God, what, what would I see there and how I respond to it, okay? So you think about it and do whatever God lays on your heart, all right?
Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. It's big, God. I don't even know how to put words to all of it. I just trying to relate our relationship. And so thank you for that. God, I pray that deep in the hearts of minds of every individual here and on the internet that you will, you will do that too, that you will press in hard and let them double click and make sure. It's not, it's not about going to heaven. That's a cherry on top kind of thing. It's knowing you and walking with you is the prize. So God, help us to see that and want it and even understand what it means to love the Lord our God. So in a personal way, God, would you work in each of our hearts and help us as we uh, go on this journey. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.